gorgeous listeners and welcome back to this week's episode of the Ladies Who London podcast. How are you? Oh, all right. What's been happening? Lovely. That sounds amazing. Fantastic. Yes, I'm well, thank you. All good over here. I'm still in Hampshire at my parents' lovely place in uh, uh, over in, in the countryside in lovely Hampshire. And um, it's a busy week with work. Goodness me, lots of stuff happening, lots of stuff coming in, all kinds of things uh, going on. And I've had some lovely emails from you lot about last week's episode. The goth guide may have left, but her legacy lives on in the story of executions. And wasn't Beverly such a fantastic guest uh, last week on the podcast from the Museum of London? And I've had a whole heap of messages on Instagram and on email saying, I've been, I went, um, or I'm going to go to the exhibition. Genuinely, please do. It's got another about two months to run. So, um, yeah, please do go and... uh, check it out if you happen to be in the area um, and if you're not if you can't get to London um, have a look on their website they've got some really great info and their catalogue book uh, as well as she thinks she mentioned that is brilliant it's really really good full of fabulous info so if you can't get to it in person um, take a little look at that so this week now I don't think I've got much to tell you actually before we um, uh, before we plod onwards um I don't think there's been any sort of major news stories that affect the pod this week. So, you know, nothing more on the jewels. Um, But a few people got in touch to say they would be interested in having Viv on to chat all things jewels. So um, I've got in touch with Viv and we're going to sort that out. Probably a bit nearer to the coronation. We might do a few coronation-y related bits and pieces. It would be rude not to. It's the first one we've had in, you know, a ton of time. Uh, So, yeah, I think it would be um, remiss of us not to do something along those lines. But, you know, we go a little bit unique so we're gonna we've got a couple of things irons in the fire let's say um but this week um i have a lovely guest again and it's a guest that you all know it's one of the friends of the pod it's the lovely effervescent wonderfully whimsical fiona lucas who is back chatting all things saxon london now i got in touch with fiona and actually she does listen um usually a few weeks behind (laughs) and uh she said i fancy doing saxon london i said brilliant because we rarely go back that far and as you'll hear from our chat um it's it's an area that's not no there's not a huge amount that well no we do know a lot about it but most people and especially us as guides sort of waft our arm vaguely in the direction of going yeah Saxon and that's sort of it um so Fiona said why don't I come on and have a chat about that which is amazing because she is I think I've mentioned this before she has an eye for detail she has a real lovely she's got a sense of whimsy about her which I really enjoy and um she notices stuff that other people do not notice so she did quite a bit during, I think, COVID of, of virtual tours. And one of the things she she did a lot of work on was the Saxons. And it's a really fascinating topic. So that's what we're going to have a little look at uh, this week. We are also going to get Fiona back again in a few weeks for something else. Um, but watch this space for that. So without any further ado, let's get straight into the podcast this week with the Fiona, lovely Fiona Lucas talking all things Saxon. Well, listeners, we have this week a, well, I'm going to term a repeat offender to the podcast. Uh, it's our old friend Fiona Lucas, fellow Blue Badge guide and previous guest on the Ladies Who London podcast, who is already coughing, starting well. <laughs> hi, Luke. Hi, Fiona. Hello. I just nearly called you Lucas there. <laughs> well, you know, I'll probably still answer. That's fine. Um, How are you? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm, I'm, I would say I'm good, but that's not entirely true. I'm getting over a cough and I've just realised the thing that probably will make me cough more than anything else is laughing. So this is not going to go well. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, I'll try and be really boring and, and very uh, un, unhumorous. Yeah, uh, you can be week. very, very sensible. Please. Yes, I will try and uh, try my best to do that for you. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on this week. Um, I got in touch with Fiona because, of course, as we know, Emily has left the podcast. And I'm still, you know, not not at all bitter about it. Um, and Fiona um, has been on several times. So I thought it'd be lovely to get um, old coughing Fiona back uh, <laughs> to chat about an area that you talk about quite a lot on your tours, actually. Well, I possibly talk about it slightly more than some other people do. But I suspect even I don't talk about it as much as I should so this is very much a uh, a kind of plot, um, not a ploy, a play, an argument that 
that there isn't an, uh, an era of history that we tend to ignore as guides and I think we should not ignore it so much. I wonder if listeners can guess what era that is. Just spoiler, it's not the Tudors no. or oh, no. the Romans. No, no. <laughs> they get they get lots of coverage. What is it? It's well, even the name. So we're gonna call it Saxon, but even that is like actually what we mean is Anglo Saxon Romano Celt. You know that's it, not snappy. It's not as snappy, but it does it does um, suggest more accurately the complete mishmash of events and the different people involved. And it's it's the bit between the Romans and the Normans. Yeah. So great, it's, great bloke, Norman. Great bloke. Very good. <laughs> but not as good as the Saxon. No. Uh, <laughs> so so give us some dates. So between the Normans and the Romans. So that's okay. quite a that's quite a large swathe, isn't it? Well, this is exactly my point. We have about 350 years of Roman London. And we talk about that a lot because we oh, know yeah. a lot about it. And we've got lots of buildings and we've got lots of records. And then we have about 600 years of Saxon that we don't really talk about at all, partly because there's not a huge amount physically that survived and partly because they didn't write down so much in, uh, as the Romans did. But it and, and partly because it's quite confusing as an era. But the one thing that is very clear about it is the beginning and the end. So we can say 410 is date, the kind of end of Roman London. And that's an artificially precise date. But in 410, the people of Rome write to Rome, the people of London write to Rome asking for help defending London from attack. And the answer comes back, undertake your own defense. Yeah. Sorry, lads. Yeah, we're out. So 410 to which date? Possibly the most famous date. Oh, oh, you're history. asking me. Sorry. 1066. 1066. <laughs> I thought you'd forgotten then. I was like, oh, no. She's, <laughs> she's, she's frozen. <laughs> 1066. 1066. Yeah. Um, the most famous dates in, in well, L- certainly London history. Not just British absolutely. history. London history. Yeah. And the first part of this, and actually, like all of it to a certain extent, but certainly the beginning part, used to be known as the Dark Ages. Um, which implies it's kind of brutish and savage and, you know, and if anything, it is dark just because we don't know about it. They just didn't have lamps. That was all it was. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also, it really is the time of myth and legend because if King Arthur existed, this is when he was. And I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, spoil the plot for anyone by saying that maybe he didn't. Shush, no, King Arthur definitely existed. Come on. But you know, we it, it it is it is an era when just after the Romans go, there is a sort of vacuum and a bit of chaos, and there's lots of stories about it, but it, it, there's nothing that we know particularly clearly. Um, and then even when things kind of resolve a bit, it's still quite confusing. So Saxon England splits up into seven different kingdoms. Fabulous. And, you know, as guides, we talk about kings and queens quite a lot. And they're quite a good way to sort of just date things into like a skeleton that we can Mm. slot other things into. But um, I'm just going to read out, if I may, the names of the kings of Northumbria. I love these Saxon kings names. They're absolutely fantastic. Right. I'm settled in. Go for it. Okay, so this is from about 600 up to about 800. So we're going with uh, Ethelfrith, Edwin. Enfrith, Oswald, Oswy, Egrith, Alfrith, Osred the First, Conred, Osric, Seawulf, Edbert, Oswulf, Ethelwald Mole, Ethelred, <laughs> Ethelred the First, oh sorry, Alfred, and then Ethelred the First, and then Elfwald the First, Oswald the Second, Osbald, <laughs> Eadwolf, Elfwolf the second, Enred, Ethelred the second, Osbert, Ale, Egbert the first, Rixkig, Egbert the second. I mean, that's amazing. Even if you, and that's just one of the seven kingdoms. So, for one, there's a lot of them because their reigns were quite short for various reasons, but, but also their names are remarkably kind of similar a lot of the time and it is it's deeply i mean we can't really 
poke fingers at that when lots of our kings are Henry's and Edward's and George's. Absolutely. You know? This is what struck me just this afternoon is that we should talk more about these people that, that we can't kind of get our heads around because that's what an awful lot of people who are visiting Britain who don't know the sort of the, the history of the kings and queens that we know that we go, oh, Stephen this and Henry the Sixth and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And they're just thinking, who are these people? It makes no sense to them in the same way that these make no sense to us. Yeah. Um, so it's a good reminder as a guide of, of what that experience is like. But what I'm going to say is in amongst um, the Saxon kings, there are a few that stand out that we do kind of remember. Yeah, and in fact, there was one name that cropped up there. Now, I don't, I don't, know if it's, I don't think it's from the <laughs> same uh, kingdom, but you know where I'm going with this, don't I know, you? I know exactly where you're going. And he's, I think he's one of my four that I've pulled out, which is a little quiz for you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, love it. I thought you'd like a quiz. How how do we remember these folks? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm very, very bad on my Saxons. So this is going to be <laughs> mortifying for me, but let's do it. Well, let, let's let's just see. Um, offer. Ah, oh, Mercia. Why am I saying yeah. Mercia? Yes. Um what, what, what do you want from me? More than well, that? <laughs> so what do we, what do we, there is a thing that is offers thing and, and it still exists and we sort of know it by his name. No, I do know this, isn't it? It's not a uh, offer. And while you're thinking, I'm going to say, so he was Mercian. He's about the end of the 700s. That doesn't help me. And he was a high king and he controlled pretty much everywhere south of the Humber, apparently. So the kingdom's also stretched and shrank. This is now, why it's confusing. Is this one of the hordes? He's not, he, he, we're not talking your man um, that we did our podcast on once um, over in Suffolk. No. No, no, no. no okay. No. Um, um, he, Mercia is further west and it's just, it's sort of as far west as you can go before you get to Wales. Did he form Lothlopool? <laughs> No, no. Not, the, not the not no. Liverpool. Liverpool. Oh, Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> wow, my jokes are so tenuous. They don't even land with Fiona. Okay, cool. Um, oh, I, I do know, yeah. and I can't think. Um, yeah. He's not a mold gold cape, is he? Uh, no. no, no, not as far west as that. No, put me out of my misery. No. Offers Dyke uh, oh, yeah. between England and Wales. Effectively, there is a ditch which um, still you can still see in places. <coughs> <coughs> and is he still in uh, it? I don't think he's still in it. Oh, that's a shame. No, no. Um, so next on my list. Okay. Ethelbert. Ethelbert Humperdinck. No. Um, <laughs> oh, you really are. Uh, now, see, this is the okay. one I thought you might have spotted a different Ethelbert in the Northumbrians. No, I was going Ethelred, you see. That was my... Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. we'll come on to him later. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Ethelbert now... Slightly earlier, about 600 Oh, right. That, that's super helpful. Um, <laughs> no, I, I have nothing so, to go on with this. Kent. King, king of Kent and also yeah. probably High King. And he converted to Christianity in a big way. So he's ah Canterbury Cathedral. Yes, yes, yes. OK, yes. Oh, now this is, oh my goodness. I'm having flashbacks See, to when we did the Now it's all coming back. Oh, that hideous day that we went to Canterbury. This is, this is <laughs> such niche knowledge for those. Oh, my goodness, gang. Right. So when we did the course, we had... It, I think we've, Emily and I have explained in the past just how full on the course is. There was one day in our year, because Fiona and I trained together, where we went to Canterbury. We were talked at all the way to Canterbury, all the way around Canterbury. We had 15 minutes for lunch. We were talked at all the afternoon, all the way back, and we wanted to die. Um, so is, is that the guy that, that we were talking yes. about? The one who in who brought, his wife went, went Christian, didn't she? Yes. Yes, that's him. Exactly, yes. Um, so Canterbury, but also actually he encouraged his nephew, who was the king of um, Essex, to have some missionaries to come into Essex and also be missionaries there. And they founded St. Paul's. So from a London point of view. Uh, oh, that is it, him. Yes. OK, him. right. I've never made that connection before. No, nor did I. OK. There you go. No, there you go. Um, OK, third on the list, Radweld. Redwell. Oh, oh. I don't know that I've ever heard of mm, him. Well, mm. uh, I I think there's a there's a there's a product. If you have a car and you have a, a hole in your radiator, I think there is a product that you can pour into the radiator and it, it sort of seals the thing. And it's called Radweld. Oh, it, it's nothing to do with that. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> That's good. Radweld is one of those ones that we 
know we know quite a bit about his belongings um he's a sort of best guess contender to be the king in the Sutton Who burial oh that makes sense yes so he was also okay. around the 600s and um massive ship burial found mm. in in Sutton Who in he, he was uh, East Anglian we have a whole podcast um, episode about that quite a while ago now but yeah there, there. you go so and finally Alfred the great that's oh cool. now he's my guy he's my guy so I was thinking you were going to go Ethelred the unready that's where no. I thought you were going no 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 we're, we're, we're still still hold that thought we're coming oh, back. okay well yeah. Alfred the Great is a is a damn legend because Absolutely. my sort of as close as I have to a hometown is Winchester and that's his hood and there is a massive sculpture of uh, Alfred the Great at the bottom of the high street in Winchester um and he uh fought off the Danes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, and he's one another one of those that we don't know where he's buried. And they were hoping after the uh the Richard the Third, which I'm just gonna say for one of the listeners that got in touch, and I'm so sorry, I can't remember your name off the top of my head, who still remember she she was leafing through, she's an archaeologist, she was leafing through her notes the other day, and she was obviously listening to the podcast at the time because she'd written down Richard III puts the king into parking and then put my name underneath. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> um, so when, when Richard III was discovered, they tried to then set about trying to find um, Alfred the Great as well. There was, a, there was a, an old kind of monastery nunnery type place in Winchester and they were going to dig there. And I, I, I haven't heard anything's been found. I feel like we would have heard, but, um, yeah. but yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's a bit of a legend, is good yeah. old Alf. So why is, why is he great? He's just pretty awesome, isn't he? Um, well, he was he was the he was king of Wessex. Yep. Look at me knowing things about a Saxon. Um, yeah. He fought off the Danes. Yep. And just a stand-up guy. Just yeah. a nice. I'm gonna egg. I'm gonna I'm gonna add some more slightly more specific words. Thank you. That's okay. I'm gonna say fortified towns. All oh, right. Okay. Um, justice and justice. literacy. Ooh. very big on all this and he has a vision of a united england yes i did know that bit yes but i've forgotten yeah like and he burnt the cakes that's the, the sort of the story about him is is he's he's been attacked by the danes oh, yeah. stroke vikings uh and has been sort of is camping out in the marshes um you know him and a few followers like at the edge of the land um, just about clinging on and somebody is making cake this is the the story uh and says to him watch the cakes i'm going off to do something else and he is thinking about the united england that he could create and he's so distracted he doesn't watch the cakes the cakes get burnt and the woman comes back and goes you had one job <laughs> and it turns out but he then becomes the great king who starts the process of reunifying see that's so funny because the cakes in my head were linked to ethelred the unready ah uh okay but i think that's just that i mean that is just me being completely uh <laughs> useless and knowing anything about the right. Saxons rather than rather than uh, me having a different story it's just me not remembering things as is as is my uh, my usual state yes well so alfred the great it brings me on to the other good thing about them because because they have these quite similar names a lot of them as well they also have nicknames so yes. you know, and I, we don't have enough of this in the modern royals. No, I think so. Um, do you do you know who the other the great is? Ooh. Because we had one other king who was known as the great, and I wouldn't expect you to because oh. it's it's not a it's not an obvious. I'm going to make a guess, Wolfric, because I like that, <laughs> I like that name. <laughs> um, good guess, good guess, but no, no, um, okay, king. King Canute. Oh, of course it is. King Canute. Yes. Careful how you spell it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, <coughs> and he, I looked him up more thoroughly. I knew he was the son of the fantastically named Swain Forkbeard. Fantastic. Who, who did have a beard that came into two, I mean, the pictures of him have it. Who knows? Maybe they were pictures later. Um, but apparently uh, Canute's mother might well have been, um, she was called Gunhilda and she might have been a Polish princess. Ooh, now that's interesting. So, so um, Canute is one of the the, the Danish kings mm. of England that we had at the around about the ten hundreds, that kind of era, and we sort of forget that for quite a long time England was split in half, and the eastern half of the kingdom was called the Daneland, and it was kind of part of Denmark, and London 
was just on the territory, on the sort of border between the two. So London kind of swapped hands a few times back and forth between um, sort of English and, and, and Danish. And this does pop up in Shakespeare, doesn't it? Probably. I think. Most, most things do. Most things do. <laughs> <laughs> is, oh, now I'm, I'm, my Shakespeare is uh, a little bit rusty. It's either Macbeth or Hamlet, isn't it? And they talk about Daneland, I think. Am I going mad? I probably am. Well, Hamlet is, is set in in Daneland proper, isn't it? In, in Denmark. So Denmark, it wouldn't be, yeah. it makes, makes sense. Uh, anyway, yeah. I'm probably going completely insane yeah. and everyone's screaming at me going, Alex, you are such a numpty. I'm sure I'll edit it out. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we've got two kings who are great. Have we got anyone better than great? <gasps> um, the terrific. Not, no? No. Um, the greatest, greater, better, much more better. Um, <laughs> anyone he's better called, than great? He's called Edmund. And he is Edmund the... Impressive. Immense. Invincible. <laughs> the Magnificent. Oh, well, of course. Edmund the Magnificent. <laughs> I mean, that's fabulous. And he's he's sort of middle of the 900s. Um, and it seemed he was probably magnificent at being a warrior. Right, yes. Which is very that's... often where they get their names from. And actually, he's known as Edmund the Magnificent to um, keep him apart from Edmund Ironside. Ah. who was also called that because of his valour and his Lovely. sort of warlike so nature so two yeah. two fabulous Edmunds well. <laughs> now do you know what Edmund the fabulous I would pay a lot of money to see <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the last bit of names that we're going to deal with before we get down to some sort of proper stuff if you like is Ethelred the unready yeah and so I have a I have a multiple choice question for you oh crikey okay which is why he's why was he unready? See, I don't is know. It, is it because he's he wasn't a redhead, right? Because he didn't listen to advice. Okay. Because he was always late. Okay. Or because he was always broke. I think it's the red hair one. No, it's not, is it? <laughs> oh, you scuffed me. <laughs> you went in so so eagerly. I know, I know. I always go for that. Um, because uh, he was always broke. No. Although he was quite broke. Late? No. Oh, for crying out loud, seriously? <laughs> well, process of elimination, I've got it right. Sort Yay! of, haven't I? So he was always, what was the other one? <laughs> well, didn't listen to advice. Didn't listen to advice, there we go. Which is, which is a quite diplomatic way of describing it, because red meant counsel or advice or whatever. Right. So unready or redless, which is what he was sort of near the time, could mean either that he was unwise or that he didn't listen to advice or mm. he had bad advice. Right. And actually it was a nickname that came hundreds of years later. So it might be completely oh, okay. But it, it does mean he's sort of gone down in history as being a bit of a sort of buffoonish king because of this, you know, Ethelred the Unready is such a sort of dodgy nickname. Yeah. Have, in a way. And he <laughs> Nothing to do with the cakes. Time. Nothing to do with cakes. No. no. So, I was thinking in terms of what what do we go what can we go and look at? Yes, I, I like that. that. That's because they have got quite a big legacy, um, but it's not necessarily visible at first glance in a way. And that's partly because for like really only very recently in the last forty years have we worked out the mystery of Anglo-Saxon London, because for years there were some little bits of writing about it. There's the Venerable Bede, who is a monk up in Northumbria, and he writes in the early 700s about how London is an emporium, a market of many peoples coming by land and sea. Okay. Sounds lovely. Hmm. Good to know. We've always been good for shopping Yes, uh, in London. And um, the archaeologists working away in the city of London, because, you know, there's Roman stuff in the city and there's medieval stuff in the city. And it makes sense to think that the Saxons were in the city as well. Mm. They're working away and they can't find anything that fits this description. And there's a gap between the Romans and the Normans. Some of the city had was sort of permanently inhabited, but some of it went completely back to nature and grew over and were abandoned completely. And so they were like, where, where is this? And in the uh, 1980s, there was a dig near the Savoy Hotel and they found a few bits of Saxon stuff and they went, oh, that's interesting. And then near Charing Cross Railway Station, a few years later, they find a few more bits. Oh, 
And then they found um, near in Floral Street, which is um, by Covent Garden, right by sort of middle of Covent Garden. Yeah. Um, they found some posts that were, they think, the sort of supports for a Saxon longhouse, oh. and what seemed to be a burial. I think they didn't find the the actual body or bits of a body or I'm not sure, but they found um, some bits of jewellery and some rings and some various things and a brooch. And it's about six centimetres across. It's copper, but decorated with gold and garnets. And the garnets would have come from India, suggests nice long trading routes. You know, there's a lot of gold. It's very intricately worked. So this is not a kind of savage basic society. This is people who are wealthy enough. Mm. And um, if it was a grave goods, if it was buried with this lady that they think it was, then they're not only wealthy enough to have it, but wealthy enough to bury it and not need it. Yeah, or or pass it on and that kind of, use that wealth in whatever. Yeah, so that that sort of, you know, the, the more we found archaeological treasures from this era, the more people go, oh, so actually it was quite impressive, and oh, it was amazingly ornate, and oh, they were quite good. It's always funny, isn't it, that when we don't know about something, our immediate go-to is, oh, well, it can't be very good, or, it, it yeah, they weren't very developed, or whatever it might be. It, it's You see that so much in in well, particularly British history, because we have a way of looking at things, don't we? It's like, well, if yeah. I can't read about it, surely it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and then you find stuff and you go, oh, that's completely oh, wrong. That's quite nice. yeah. yeah. So they've, they're already, they're starting to piece this together and they're starting to have this idea that maybe Saxon London wasn't actually in the city at all. Maybe it was near a Covent Garden, the Strand area. And then uh, in the 1990s, when they were doing big works at the Royal Opera House, they go underneath the Opera House and nearby and they find streets and um, houses and workshops and enough stuff to just go yeah definitely this is it this was anglo-saxon london london wick um was here all along who knew perfect sense who knew exactly um in fact i think probably we could have known the clues were sort of there in the name so there's lots of things yes. like strand and aldwich is like wick or witch was the market mm-hmm. so aldwick is old wick yeah and what happened after you know the anglo-saxons are are there around the common garden for a bit and the finds we've got nicely fit into the gap where we didn't have stuff in the city because what happens sort of late 800s we start finding stuff in the city again and the stuff in common garden sort of dwindles and you go oh okay so they were there and then they moved back into the city and then what was the market town the wick becomes the old wick or the old witch so it all, it all which, kind of which makes sense. begs the question, of course, then why did they... Because, you know, when the Romans left, there was a proper... Well, I say left, they didn't really leave. I think when we say <laughs> the Romans left, everyone has this impression that they packed up their bags and off they went. And, they of course, that's not the thing, because a lot of the people who would have been in Rome and London would never even have been to Rome, because they were here for several hundred years, born, bred, all that sort of thing, essentially Londoners, but part of the Roman Empire. So it's not that the, the Romans packed up and left, it's that the sort of governance from Rome faded away and, yes. and everyone just naffed off and did their own thing. So you've yeah. got this full city that's built, that's pretty in-depth, there's lots of stuff there, and then you say it goes to rack and ruin and no one lives there for several hundred years. Why? Why? Good question. And I think there's there's various um, ideas, which none of which you know for sure, but they all seem to add up kind of reasonably one is the sort of technology of building the roman style buildings Mm. is probably gently lost and if you're trying to build in wood and thatch and things you don't necessarily want to do it amongst the stone buildings that are there kind of um if you have uh soldiers to arm to man the walls walls are a good defense but if you don't they're a trap and you can mm. just get stuck inside them. So that's not great. And the Romans have pretty much built um, docks and quays all the way along the front of the river, we think, in the city. So Romans had deep sh- vessels that they liked to moor up alongside a dock. The Saxons had much more shallow bottom ships that they pulled up onto a beach. Mm. So strand, the old word for beach, makes perfect sense that they just went past the old city, past the docks, which might be starting to fall apart and crumble and not be repaired. And they're quite dangerous because there'll be bits of stuff under the waterline and things just go straight past up to the nice beach where they can pull up their boats alongside. And it's not, there's there's other places in Britain where 
you had a Roman city and then an Anglo-Saxon settlement just outside. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems to be a pattern that happens in various places and it's some combination of those. And it's fascinating because you kind of imagine that obviously the city of London under the Roman rule would have been quite an impressive city. We know it was the largest city north of the Alps. It was it had a very large for the time anyway population. I love this idea of these Saxons in these smaller, shallower boats coming along the river past what would have been like a ghost town. Yeah. And that must have been really spooky. Yeah. Come past that and, and look and, and just kind of go, oh, you know, and I imagine there would have been a lot of, we talk a lot about how the Saxons were a bit freaked out by the city. They believed there were spirits and ghosts there. Yeah. And you can totally imagine them coming past in their ships and going, watching these, these big stone buildings and going, oh, you know. Yeah. And so so slightly jumping ahead, we're going to we're going to come on to now in a moment about how the city got resettled. Mm. But at the point when they were moving back into the city. To the end of the Roman era is the same equivalent of us looking back to the dissolution of the monasteries. So oh, places wow. like, yeah, you know, exactly. Whitby or, you know, the big um, abandoned sort of monasteries that are now ruins in the countryside. Yeah. That's the same gap of time. And if we go to those places and go, wow, it's amazing. How did they build this? Yeah. Oh, you know, and you can imagine exactly the same relationship of the Saxons who are very skilled at using timber and thatch and, and more organic materials, which is why they their buildings haven't lasted as long. And we don't have the archaeological evidence for them as much. But, um, you know, they were skilled in their own way, but they were just using different materials, different techniques to the ones that had gone before. It's amazing. I, I've never. Do you know when you suddenly put time into in, into context like that? It's really weird, isn't it? Because you yeah. often think, oh, you think Roman Saxon that's so long ago, but to go, oh, because we we feel like the dissolution of the monasteries is a long time ago, but also uh, I guess relatable enough to have an impact on us. So that that's a really clever way yeah. of. This is what I always say about you, is that you, you have an eye for detail that other people just don't have. It's wonderful. But it is. It is exactly. It's one of those things you're thinking about. You go, hang on, it's the same. And it's like, it's a little light bulb that goes, oh, now I understand a bit more, kind of. And actually, so that that sort of moment when they're moving back into the city in the middle of the 800s, that's only halfway through the Saxon era. Oh, my goodness. So we've got another half, another same amount of time again for them to have an impact in the city. That's crazy. Um, so... Why did they move back into the city? Yes. It's our friend King Alfred and his fortified towns. Hurrah! Because he'd been fighting with the Danes and they used to, like the army and the king and the armies would go to a place and they'd fight and they'd reclaim some land, great territory, and then they'd go off and fight somewhere else. And then other people would come back and claim that land back again. And it just went back and forward and back. And, forward. and he was the one who went, no, no, this is mad. Let's not do this anymore. So he set up all around Southeast England, fortified towns, which had walls, so they were defendable and the population could retreat inside the walls if they mm -hmm. needed to. And also I think left a sort of garrison of fighting men in each place so that right. they could hold back people. And then there was less incentive for the Danes or the Vikings, whoever, to, to come and attack them. Hmm. So once he fought and claimed territory back, he wanted to hold on to it. And in London, the obvious place to do that is to come back inside the city walls because yeah, you've got a ready-made defence, haven't you? You've got those walls already, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so he quite purposely resettled the area kind of between St Paul's Cathedral and the Guildhall, just north of Cheapside. Um, and if you look at the street layout in that area, it's still, the, it's almost a grid of straight streets. And those are the streets as laid out by King Alfred. Um, and places like the Guildhall, the, the bit that we can't see mm. is the bit that makes sense of what's going on because there is the Roman amphitheater and there is the medieval government offices above. Yeah. And the bit in between, so when the Saxons come back into the city, they are having folk meets three times a year. Everybody gets to gather together to discuss governance. And where better to do that than in the big open space of the sort of old amphitheater building, even yeah. if, you know, it might be a bit crumbly by then. Um, and the fact that they were having regular sort of government meetings in that space 
would make sense of that being why they build the guild hall there. That totally would. A little bit later on. And again, it, it's supposition. We don't know for sure. There's no evidence, kind of physical evidence that, that proves this concretely, but it makes absolute sense to but fill in just, the gap. Yeah, you, exactly. Oh, we now need to, you now need a purpose-built building, but in the same place that we've been meeting. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And quite a lot of the stuff about the way we're governed actually comes from kind of Saxon era stuff. Mm, so they nice. had the Witan, who were the sort of council of, you know, the king's advisors, the bishops, the nobles. And then they have the Folkmeet, who is everybody who gets to have their say. And, you know, in, in Westminster, there was a sort of hiatus. And then what what emerges in medieval times is a system of government with two houses mm. in it. In the city of London, there's a much more direct route through, and you can see clearly how the Witan becomes the court of aldermen, which is the kind of upper chamber of the city government, and yeah. the Folkmeet becomes the court of common council. And if those are the equivalent in Westminster, then you know our, our two-house system of government comes from kind of Saxon mm. era things. Um, they also had the king's reeves who were who were officials who ran the sort of justice and ad administered things and stuff and that's where we get the king's reeves become the shire reeves and that's where the sheriff comes from is that right so, oh my goodness kind of i love this through. kind of thing i'm feeling completely <laughs> stupid because i have to say i don't know I, I think i'm proving no next to nothing about the saxons and like you said earlier we, we talk about the romans we talk about the tudors and I, I generally sort of waft my arm vaguely in the direction of Aldridge and say oh this was the saxon town and that's all i say it's terrible yeah, yeah. and this is exactly why i wanted to talk about them because this and, and the only reason actually that i started getting interested in them originally is because i used to teach on a course that was about the history of the city and we had a chunk of an era to cover each and no one wanted to do Saxon. I was like, okay, I'll do Saxon. There's nothing. What do we do on a walking tour about the Saxons? God, there's nothing to see. And I went away and researched it, and I found lots of interesting stuff. Still nothing to see. So we we did it as a sort of lecture rather than a walking tour. Yeah. But that that's what started me off on, on the Saxons. Um, that's so interesting. So also, let's say Christianity. Because that's what kind of flourished. I mean, you know, it, it, it arrived a bit during the Roman era and disappeared and didn't, you know. But an awful lot of the city churches, and there are, are a lot of them, date from the sort of eight nine hundreds, um, including St Paul's Cathedral. Yeah. And for example, St Clement Danes. The clues in the name. The Danish church. Yeah. Was you know the the sort of Canute era, um, building things, and yeah, huge numbers of of, of city churches. But also Westminster Abbey. Yes, so this is this is the time of Thorny Island, isn't it? Exactly. So uh, Edward the Confessor, who we sort of think of as the last Saxon king, there's a bit of faffing around actually between him and and William. But let's let's just go with the last Saxon king. Um, he moves. He he refounds Westminster Abbey. So there was a little monastery there already, but he basically founds the abbey as we know it that nowadays and uh, builds a palace alongside and moves his palace out of the city of London and to Westminster and effectively sets up London as we know it nowadays with two centres with the you know the, the business and the commerce in the city and the uh, parliament and government in Westminster yeah. and the, the people and the you know the uh, the West End all sort of growing out of um, of kind of Westminster so the whole the whole shape of London was set up by the Saxons. I'm going to say it's amazing. I love that. I, I remember there's a little place, one of my favourite little spots in the city of London, which is the Billingsgate Bathhouse. Have you been mm. there? Um, I'm not sure I ever have actually. No, I've, I've sort of yeah. I went there a few months ago. I'm always meant to go, and I hadn't been. And it, it's this. You know, there are there are bits and pieces of, unlike Saxons, there are bits and pieces of Roman stuff that you can see. Not huge yep. amounts, but bits and pieces. And one of them is this amazing bathhouse with a hypercourse system and all sorts of stuff. And it's available. I think you can go on Saturdays, but you have to book in and it's it's not just sort of freely available. Um, and I went along and what I absolutely, one of my favourite little bits about it is they were talking, you know, they talked about all the history of the bathhouse and how it would have worked, etc. Um, and then they said, and then we have some Saxon evidence here. Yeah. And I was ah, like, yes. I was like, what? I know. I know what's coming. And what it was is 
a fire and a few like uh, bits and pieces that they'd found. And what they think it was, was basically Saxon sort of tourists or like urban explorers who, while the area wasn't inhabited, you know, took on those ghosts and monsters and basically went into the city of London, camped out for a few nights and left their archaeological evidence whilst yeah. they were looking for, you know, going around the sort of Roman there's ruins. A, there's something, there's a, there's a, it's a brooch or a coin or something, something like that. They yeah, date yeah, quite specifically. Yeah. Might be a coin because that would explain the date. And yeah, exactly. You can go, look, we know that by this time, Roman London are gone because here's a layer of dark earth and then here's this Saxon coin helpfully yeah. dropped to help us date it. I just love it. I love that they've yeah. gone, oh, let's go and have a wander around. You know, you can imagine this group of friends going oh come on let's go and do it let's let's take on the take on the spirits and let's go and freak ourselves out and camp overnight and yeah it's just wonderful and and for them that was history and for us they are history it's it's phenomenal yeah absolutely um and it's again this is this is sort of slightly this is the sort of echo of what's left nowadays but um you you know about the night and guild I think you probably do. You, you know the statue by um, oh, what's it called? Near Spittle, towards Spitalfields. There's the oh yes, yes, the big, the big knight on the big horseback. Knight. It's quite, quite sort of modern sculpture, isn't it? Metal. Yes, yes, and he's got lovely yes. kind of gems on him. Yes, absolutely. So it's a fabulous modern sculpture of uh, which is called Knight and Guild, and it's commemorating um, thirteen knights in the reign of King Edgar, uh, late nine hundreds. They ask for some land. And Edgar says, yep, you can have some land as long as you all perform three acts of bravery, one above ground, one below ground and one in water. And then take on all comers at jousting. And they go away and they perform their three acts of bravery, each of them. There's no records, so we don't know what they were, sadly. And they come back and they take on all comers at jousting and they advertise and they invite people to come and fight them and joust and have tournaments. And nobody turns up. Uh, But that's fine. That means they've they get their land and they get 13 acres stretching in a ring around the eastern edge of the city of London. And that makes perfect sense for Edgar. He's got a band of 13 trained fighting knights who have proven their bravery mm. on the eastern edge of London to protect London from attack. Marvellous. And rather delightfully, and it stretches about a quarter of a mile. So it actually stretches um, from, from kind of where the wall was to Aldgate. Right, and there's a yeah. place... There's, there's Allgate and then there's sort of Allgate East. And at Allgate East, there was a place that used to be known as the Allgate Bars. In the same way that we have the Temple Bar Temple bars, yeah. on the west side of the city that was a sort of, you know, later on the city's kind of influence grew and they they the edge of the city becomes the Temple Bar, not mm. where the Roman city wall was. Same thing happened going east, effectively, because of the, the Knight and Guild. So, um, but their land stretched into the Thames as far as a knight on horseback could ride at low tide and throw his spear. Oh, really? <laughs> which I imagine must be quite far into the actual river. <coughs> yeah. Which and is why, like I a... guess, when we've talked about the city of London kind of coming across the bridges, across London Bridge in particular, that their sort of jurisdiction ends at the south side of London Bridge pretty much, doesn't it? It's yes. where the old gate used to yes. be. Yeah, although I think that might also be because they used to leave, people used to leave money to God and the bridge. Yes. And so the city kind of took on the bridge. Yeah. As a, as a, as a and the city paid for the bridge. So I think anything yes, the city paid yeah. for, they want to <laughs> keep ownership of. Um, but yeah, and it sounds like a really bonkers way to define a land territory, a bit of territory, but it's the area that is defensible mm. by a, a knight on horseback. So it sort of makes sense. But within that patch nowadays, so it, it was belonged to them for however long, and then in the 1100s it becomes um, it's owned by one of the monasteries, um, the one in Allgate, whose name escapes me now. Um, could be not Holy sure. Trinity. Yeah, might sure. be. Um, but where the statue is now, with the Knight and Guild, in in like the buildings that are there now were built as warehouses for the East India Company. So they're mm-hmm. 17, 1800s. And then 20, 30 years ago, someone um, converted it into offices. And the stipulation for the planning permission for that is you have to keep lots of gardens and open space. And 
remind us of the orchards of the priory when it was here yeah and the priory had their orchards and their beehives and things there on the land that had belonged to the knight and guild yeah so you can kind of trace this little thread it's wonderful isn't it just about all the way through and there is a lovely little garden just quite near the tower of london it's a little bit tucked away and it's got some kind of activities for kids in a way it's got um you know sort of little things that swing and a, a, a thing that you can step on different it's like a seesaw but it makes Which noise garden is this it's just off it's sort of behind the minories which oh right yes yes um i can't think what the name you can get it actually. from either side of the street and it's um it's not mansell street i don't think but it's um i should know i used to work on that street yes um i know exactly what you mean and i can't think but anyway yes yeah. yeah and it's got it's got a rope bridge which looks like it's going to be quite simple but actually it's a bit tough so i do quite like uh you know if i can find a way it's, sadly it's not quite close enough to the tower to easily get it into a, a day <laughs> but it is a surprisingly difficult bridge to walk across and that's that's quite fun and i would like to think that those little physical challenges that are in the garden there are a little tiny echo of a reminder of the physical challenges of the night and guild oh stop that's what i'd like stop to you're too cute i love it <laughs> also also greenwich yes st alfridge's church yes on the spot where he was martyred in 1012 he was a saxon yeah of Eight. course he was they, they pop up don't they they do pop up they do pop up yeah, and actually, and that's true, quite a lot of the city churches are named for Saxon saints of, mm. of various uh, different things, um, like the one who's by the gate, who's now escapes me. Uh, by which gate? I think the one, <laughs> well, by every gate. Every <laughs> gate. Oh, um, you know, oh now, that's, now it's gone out of my head it's as well. Bot off. there we go. There you go. Who, who was, uh, is one of the patron saints of travellers. So his churches are by gates, so you can pray on your way out for a safe journey and give thanks when you get back for your safe return. It's all yeah. marvellous. And um, he was from East Anglia, so his town in East Anglia, Botolf's town, is known as Boston. Boston. I, was exact, I was just about to tell you exactly yeah, that yeah. fact. Yeah. And then That's Boston in America, you know, carries on the name over there. So some Botolf, um, but I can't remember what, which century he was, but he was Saxon era um same that's amazing so they're all little there's little tiny bits of you know is there anything to actually see i mean apart from the little the little snippet in the bathhouse and and there are bits and pieces of saxon um well stuff and things i'm going to call it in museum of london and british museum yeah they're not all they're not all london stuff and things are they no no and there's there's quite a bit of of treasure Sutton Hoo Hall um, and things like that. Exactly that, but not not so much London ones. Um, uh, but there are... Um, uh, yeah, so physically, the thing is, actually, the Romans built in stone, and mm. then they went away, and it got covered up, and it got preserved, and then the Saxons come back, and we now dig through the Saxon era to get to the, get Romans, to the Romans, kind of. But it was preserved because it was covered up the Saxons, once the Saxons came back into the city, nobody left the city again. So everywhere that they lived, when one person finished living there, somebody else carried on. Mm. Or somebody wanted to build the house bigger, so they knocked down the old house, flattened it down, and just built on top of it. Mm. And that's why the street level gets higher and higher, and we've built up over the years. But Part of the reason why the Saxon stuff hasn't survived is because it was organic and it has disappeared, but also because it never got preserved because people were just constantly reusing the sites. Yeah. So like St Paul's, there's nothing left of the original St Paul's. I don't think, I'm just, and I've said that, there probably is. It's probably <laughs> a little bit of something somewhere. Like one bit of wood somewhere. A little bit of wood just picking around. And I, I'm, I, there might be a Saxon arch in uh in kind of one of the city churches but i i was reading something about it the other day there is a saxon arch in the church uh by tower hill that's exactly the one and i wanted to just check it was there and not actually in barking 
There we go. No, it's definitely, there is definitely one yeah. there. Um, the remains of a Saxon shaft inscribed with the name Wevenworth. Wevenworth. And then a half circular wheel head of a cross. So that's all hallows by the tower. Yeah. I always love going in there because you go, oh, this, this is a Saxon church. And then you go, it's just the arch. But let's, let's, <laughs> let's go with it. <laughs> yes. There was a Danish gravestone found near St. Paul's, which is now in the Museum of London. Right. Okay. So there's very little just on the streets to be able to go and have a look and go, oh, that's... Very, very little. That's yeah. Excellent. But, At least but in streets, London, anyway. The streets themselves. The streets themselves. So Cheapside, modern Cheapside, is almost in the same place as the Roman Cheapside, but not right. quite, which suggests that the Roman one got covered up and then the Saxons came along and built another one. And obviously it's roughly the same place because they had the walls with gates in them. So they built the streets to join up the gates. Yeah makes sense they didn't actually build it there because the roman street was there no it just happened that it was in the same place kind of so the 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 sort of street layout of the city the the big the main streets are broadly the roman sort of shape because Mm -hmm. they join up the gates and all the rest of it but actually even some of them were tweaked in position or changed slightly by the Saxons. And the side streets of the city are all Saxon. Saxon yeah. era is when we sort of fill in those little side streets everywhere. Um, and Cheapside itself, well, the word cheap is a Saxon word, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Meaning so they market. had East, East Cheap and West Cheap. Um, and so we have East Cheap still and Cheapside it's become. Yeah. Um, they had three docks by the end of the era. So we had um, Queen's Hive, mm-hmm. uh, Billingsgate and Woolbrook uh, were, were sort of in use as docks and Billingsgate later became the fish market and we still have Billingsgate Fish Market near Canary Wharf. So, you know, the, the name has survived. Queen's Hive is still, they don't use it for anything now, but there is still an inlet there and it, it, it could still be used as a dock at mm. very hard well, times. you say they don't use it. They, uh, that's where the rubbish processing plant is so i wonder if it yes yes well no no that's that's more the Woolbrook actually oh, i think oh, okay. that's sort of the bottom of the Woolbrook uh is closer to it i think queen's hive is just a little bit along where the mosaic is yeah um is that it's, close by. The... it's only it's only like 100 yards away oh i thought that's where the... oh, okay. but, but um, yeah it's, you're right it's, it's uh, sort of blocked off isn't it and they rebuilt the bridge and okay the romans had a london bridge and then it disappeared and then the saxons built a bridge on roughly the same place but again that was because it was the obvious place to build a bridge did they use some of the roman piers that were still there under the water or did they effectively start from scratch we we don't know and it has london bridge has shifted a few feet as well hasn't it yeah yeah, exactly. So it, you know, they may not have been using it. So we don't kind of go, oh my God, they built a bridge across this really wide, fast flowing river because the Romans had done it 600 years earlier. Yeah. But the fact is they did start again and do it themselves. So um, there's there's an awful lot of, of, of sort of physical, the bones of London yeah. are surprisingly Saxon and conceptually quite a lot of things about London and the way it works and the way it's administered is kind of Saxon. Not to be underestimated, those Saxons. No. And their royals were sort of king by consent. Right. Um, and if you were, ideally it would be the last king's son, but if he was rubbish, you could have the nephew, and if they were rubbish, you could have a noble. And as long as you had the backing of the people and the warriors and, you know, well, you, that, you could be yeah. king. That was fun. And, it, okay, we're not, that's not where we are now, quite. But you know the sort of the bit where we had Charles II banging on about the divine, or Charles I talking about the divine right of kings, and mm. he was God representative and things. That's absolutely not how we started. You go yeah. back far enough, we get the Saxons who are king and 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 rulers by consent. Interesting, very interesting. Um, Funny how that's been, you know, corrupted, I suppose, over over time. Yeah, and I always remember you saying to me once, and I probably tell this to my guests and don't credit you, um, <laughs> <laughs> is the history of london is there in the street names it's there in the bones of the city you just need to scratch the surface and find it yeah it's right there you just need to look and yeah. i love that yeah and and that that actually does make sense what i'm saying about the guild hall so mm. so you know the bit that's missing we can't see but we know that there was a bit of guild hall there at the time when the streets we've still got were being laid out 
because you can see they curve around the shape of the guild hall. Yeah. So there must have been something there that they were curving around. So that that little curve tells us quite a lot if you look at it in the right context. I love it. Oh, Fiona, thank you so much for coming along and talking all things Saxon. Absolutely, my pleasure. It's it's it it has gradually snuck up on me as being a thing that I am quite enthusiastic about. Yeah, I can tell. It's fantastic. Made me feel very stupid. (laughs) Well, I was going to say the one thing that made me get my head around who was who. Actually, I have to say, originally was uh, the books of Bernard Cornwall. (laughs) <laughs> and the last kingdom which in the meantime has become a big tv series so yes. Uthred, son of Uthred. <laughs> actually that's quite a good way of getting your head around who's who in the sort of alfred guthrum danish kind of generation is amazing to read or watch read or watch the bernard cornwell book slash tv show that's amazing oh fiona thank you so so much um it's been an absolute treat to chat to you today um and we will get you on again very soon in fact we're already planning the next one yes what are you going to come and chat to us about next well um yeah so slight slight change i think maybe we think theater licensing yes (laughs) yes oh we've had some nerdy things before sumptuary laws you name it so surprisingly interesting actually yes yes we get we get back to some of those cheeky little kings that we uh, well not not the these ones but the the charleses the naughty ones um we go back to there don't we absolutely and what i what was delightful about that is i love it when you're just looking researching something and a name pings out at you and you go oh i know that person from some completely other context and I, I love it when things join up and there's a few in there. Oh, brilliant. I looked up and I was like, oh, Alex will know this person already. Oh, fantastic. I'm very, very excited about that. Well, thank you so much, Fiona. And um, where can people Absolutely. find you if they want to come and uh, see all your lovely things that you're putting on socials and or come on a tour? What's the best place to get to you? Um, so uh, socials, I'm I'm on, I'm best on Instagram on socials. I'm Fiona Lucas Guide. Um, Lucas, Lucas with a K. K. Yeah. Lucas with a K. Um, and Twitter, I'm just Fiona Lucas. That's less specifically work, but um, uh, and still, do you know what? Still, I mean, deja vu. I've been saying this to you for ages, but if only I had a website, and if only I'd had time in the last three years, four years, three years, if only there'd been a period when we weren't working hard with nothing else to do. I know. I could I have know. created a website, but you know. Um, so probably at the moment, actually, guide London guide london and look up fiona lucas and you can find my profile there and contact me through there and that's uh, that's the best or way. drop me a line and i can put you in touch as that's fine as well. i'll come through the ladies of london podcast yes we can go through there amazing thank, thank you, you so much fiona we'll for see me. you again soon yeah uh, and for the yeah if in the meantime uh, look after yourself get rid of that horrible cough yeah it actually got through reasonably well yes without... yeah <laughs> and we will talk to you about all things theater soon yay bye-bye Well, there we go, everyone. That was this week's episode with the lovely Fiona Lucas. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I have to say I learned a lot. As I said at the beginning, my Saxon rub- knowledge is quite rubbish. Uh, so it was a bit of an eye-opener one for me. Um, things I'll be using in tours and not crediting Fiona for. I'm kidding, obviously, obviously. Um, she will be back. We're going to talk theatre licensing laws in a few weeks' time. And I have to say, as I said on that episode it is a lot more interesting than you might think um but for now that is it for this week thank you all so much for coming and listening please do uh drop me an email um, a message on instagram whatever you like uh, it'd be lovely to hear from you let me know what you think if you've got any links to anything please do uh, come and share your thoughts um, you can find uh the podcast on at ladies who london podcast on instagram uh, ladieswholondon.com where you can send an email in or you can just email pretty simply ladieswholondon at gmail.com and I will read all of your le- letters letters come on Alex join the 21st century I'll read all of your emails and messages with great interest I love it when you get in touch so please do uh, carry on doing that but for now my lovelies have a wonderful week and we'll see you next Wednesday bye mm-hmm.